0: Hello and welcome to this episode of the Event Manager Podcast, the podcast for event professionals who want to stay ahead of the game by hearing from the leading innovators in the event industry. My name is Miguel Neves and I'm the editor-in-chief of EventMB. In this episode titled Unleashing the Superpower of Both and Thinking in an Either or World, I have the pleasure of speaking with Tim Arnold, president at Leaders for Leaders. Tim is the author of two books, the newly released Lead with And, The Secret to Resilience and Results in a Polarized World, and The Power of Healthy Tension. In this episode, Tim Arnold covers the concept and the ins and outs of what he calls both and thinking. We cover a lot of ground, including the key differences between a both and and an either or approach, and why an either or approach is not useful when we're looking for connection and cooperation. We talk about why it is possible to have both innovation and have something familiar and safe. We talk about why taking time to listen to others with different perspectives can be the best way to make decisions. We talk about why dealing with healthy tensions is positive. And we talk about how taking time for tone setting and naming core issues can really improve outcomes. We also talk about how connection is a hugely beneficial feature of events. And we talk about how beyond the spectacular, events can be really impactful when they change the way we think, or when we create new connections. I hope you enjoy listening to this conversation, and I invite you to check out the other episodes of the Event Manager podcast. You can find all the episodes on our website, or you can subscribe through your favorite podcast service. For a word from our sponsors, PHL Life Sciences, a division of the Philadelphia Convention and Visitors Bureau. Welcome to this episode of the Event Manager Podcast. I am delighted to be joined by none other than Tim Arnold. Tim, thank you for joining us. Uh, How are you?
1: I'm well, thanks for having me. I'm delighted to be here. I'm looking forward to the conversation. Excellent.
0: Well, thank you for for being part of this podcast. And um, Tim was referred to me by someone who's been on the podcast before and when and uh i was really interested in in the topic uh, that we're going to discuss so i'm really looking forward to this conversation but tim could you tell us a little bit about your journey um you know how who are you and and how did you get to be you if if you will
1: how did i get to be me that's a it's a big question Uh, i'll do my best to uh to give you the reader's digest version i am a uh, author speaker i live in uh, ontario canada Interestingly enough, I am an accountant by trade um, and uh, was in the world of of numbers and formulas. And uh, somehow that led to uh, a huge shift in my career. I got into, uh, at a very young age, leadership development. I started in the more outdoor adventure side. So, you know, I'd partner up with a lot of your audience and take groups out to the mountains or to the rivers to have some team building. Um, And as the years passed, that uh, got more focused on leadership development, executive development. Um, And uh, for the last, uh, I guess, 10 to 15 years, it's really focused on um, writing and speaking um, around uh, the complexities that leaders face and how to really tap in the power of uh, what I refer to as both and leadership or both and thinking.
0: Okay, so it does sound like you've had quite a few different connections with the event industry so you've run your own events you've done team building activities and i believe for the last few years you've you've been speaking on stages and kind of dealing with the event industry in that respect are there a number of ties in in that case
1: yeah so i would i would feel that uh you know right from the early days when i was launching my team building uh company it was event professionals that actually were um, my closest friends and partners um i Uh, was able to partner up with a lot of um, large event companies across Canada uh, that were looking for something new and interesting. And I just really got to know your industry well. And and I have to say that um, the success of my business and businesses has really been through great partnerships with uh, folks that, uh, you know, would be your audience. And I have the Incredible amount of respect for the challenges they face and uh, and what they're able to pull off um, event after event so yeah I've got a bit of an inside um, sneak peek into the world um, of, uh, of the folks you serve.
0: Sounds great. And hopefully uh, listeners will, I'm sure they will relate to what we're going to be talking about. So that's great. But just to push on a little bit further with with kind of the event topic, I wondered, um, you know, you've been a speaker at events, you've participated in events, you've you've done events in, in many different ways. Are there kind of specific things that you see w- when you think an event really turned out great or it was it was really well put together or it really kind of reached its objectives? Are there any kind of particular things that you notice that kind of make events great or in your opinion?
1: Hmm. Uh, It's, it's an, it's an interesting question. And I probably am looking at it from a little bit of a different perspective because I'm really a participant. I'm often part of the team, but what I will say, uh, Miguel, is that I often have a lot of participants that will speak freely to me because I'm um, you know, not the event planner. Uh, I am part of the team and uh, when I hear feedback of, "Wow, that stood out," or that was really, really uh, a, a memorable event, um, I, I definitely feel that often there's something you know new and exciting, but I find more than ever, um, there's an element of connection. And the, you know, it's an interesting thing, because for the last two years, connection's been harder than ever. Um, but there's, there's an element of connection, certainly to each other that goes beyond what I would normally get, um, you know, in my organization or in my association. Um, and there's also a, 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 an element of connection to whatever the theme or the content is, that's new, that's different. So, you know, maybe it's something that I've known at a head level and somehow this event allowed me to take it to a heart level um, or it's allowed me to actually go from idea that's interesting to an idea that I can live out. So somehow the event uh, itself is truly a catalyst to connection that otherwise I didn't have. And when people feel like that happened you know, carving out two days to be online or a week to travel around the world is, you know, something that they would do time and time again.
0: It sounds like a a great way to describe it. I, I, I hear what you're saying. It sounds like, you know, gathering people doesn't necessarily mean they are connected or they become connected. And it's when you're able to achieve that, then you really kind of do something great.
1: Yeah. And, 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 and of course there's, as I said, lots of you know, innovations and things that surprise people and, you know, amazing, um, you know, unexpected guests. That's all fantastic. Um, And I think that actually takes it to the next level. But that won't make the event something that, you know, I will be talking about to friends for the next, you know, days, months, seasons. It's that, wow, that event changed my thinking or that event resulted in relationships that now I'm leveraging in brand new ways. I think that ultimately the the event um, is the catalyst to a level of connection that just couldn't happen otherwise.
0: Yeah, really like that. I think that that's a really interesting way of putting it. So let's jump into uh, the topic that you're really you, you just you're just about to release a book. I think by the time we release this podcast, it'll probably be out. out. Uh, could you tell us a little bit about the book and, and kind of, I guess, a little bit of the backstory, like how you how you came to write about this really interesting topic?
1: Sure. Uh, I'd be I'd be pleased to. The book's called Lead with And. Uh, and it is uh, helping professionals like yourselves tap into the superpower of both and thinking, both and leadership. And uh, what I refer to as a predominantly either or world. Um, and, you know, it's interesting. Um, I, I probably don't need to convince you that our world is, you know, becoming more and more polarized, you know, and there's lots of reasons for that. There's, You know, the fact that we can choose our news sources, the fact that we can like things on social media, and then we see more of those things. People like to pick sides. And what that's resulting in is even a more um, pronounced and extreme either or approach, which means that you assume that if you face a challenge, there's a right and a wrong answer. There's a good and a bad approach. You just got to choose the right answer and you're done. Um, And what's interesting is that's not a bad thing. I mean, in the world that your audience lives in, as a a meeting professional, you're solving problems every day, hundreds of them often. And a lot of them are, they take that either or approach. You know, it's right or it's wrong. This is the, the right answer. This is the right decision. That's great. What's interesting, though, is that throughout the day, throughout the week, throughout a project some of the challenges we face we recognize this is not a situation of right and wrong it's a situation of right and right this is this is a both and and if i take that either or approach i'm actually going to certainly be frustrated i'm going to limit my opportunity and my options and i'm really you know i i I often see professionals that either um you know, just start to feel like the world's against them because they just can't move things forward. Often it's because I'm stuck in this either or approach. So what I um, help folks is to recognize scenario situations, challenges that they face within their profession that are situations of both and, and then to start to navigate that tension in a really healthy way.
0: That sounds fascinating. Sounds like a big topic that you almost anybody can apply um would love to break this down a little bit further i mean this sounds really interesting in theory but can you give us a kind of example of how this plays out and maybe something that event planners can kind of relate to? sure
1: and and what's interesting is that this is you know once we take a few minutes and, and and do just that i think everyone listening will realize oh this isn't something new. I do this all the time. I just may not have named it. I may not have a language for it, but this is my world. You know, for example, every single project uh, folks work on, they have to navigate the bottom line, the cost, and on the other side, the quality, the experience. It's that quality cost um, dilemma or tension. And what's interesting is with that or any other tension, if you choose one side to the neglect of the other, it won't work too long. So all I do is focus on cost, 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 bottom line. Well, the experience isn't going to be so solid. At the same time, if, if all I do is focus on quality and, 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 and really don't pay attention to the bottom line, someone's not going to be happy with me. So what I've got to do is hold those things in tension. And when I'm working with clients, invite them into the tension as well to say, hey, here's what we're going to do together. Give you one more example. Um, You know, I I use the the term change versus stability. You know, in your world, I would think it's probably on one hand, I want every event to just tap into the power of innovation. I want people to experience things they haven't experienced for. I want to take some risks and try new things. and At the same time, I'm going to hold on to what works. And we're going to bring in some proven practices that people know us for. It's part of our reputation. I'm not going to do one or the other. We're going to do both well. And, you know, as I talk with clients and and we start to form kind of that, that we're in this together, I'm going to say that, hey, hey. We're on one hand going to really tap into, you know, all of the power of innovation and change. And at the same time, we're going to really hold on to what works so people know that they've got some proven success to work off of. Is that helpful? Does that does that kind of give you an idea of what I'm talking about? It does. It does.
0: I think that's really interesting, that idea of of, uh, but are we talking about a, a balanced approach or are we talking about you know something that takes double the resources and and how do we kind of how do we you know get double the resources or or kind of have double the attention if we're trying to do both right
1: yeah so it I, i'm I'm a little cautious over the word balance because balance assumes it goes back to my accounting days it assumes that there's a formula and if you just Kind of plug in the right number, and generally, what it means is that we compromise on each side. You know, we're gonna have a little bit of consistency, we're gonna have a little bit of, of change. And what I would say is, you got to look at it totally different. We want the full value of each side, so rather than balance, I might use the word dynamic balance, meaning that it will depend on every decision we make. But what I'm going to do is be mindful of that tension so that every decision manages it in a healthy way. So sometimes I'm going to lean far on one side, maybe the cost side. Sometimes I'm going to make decisions more on the quality, but every call I make, I am going to be mindful of how is this going to help dynamically balance this cost quality tension or this change stability tension. And I'd love to be that author, that thought leader that could give you the formula. Here's how you solve cost versus quality or change versus stability. I could do that. Just don't trust me for very long. It doesn't exist. You're always, and and I mean, the folks that are thriving in your profession, they know this. They're like, yeah, every client I work with, I'm having to help them navigate those tensions. And when we navigate it well, when we find that dynamic balance, the events flow, you know, they work well, even relationally, we work well together. But when it feels like it's a pendulum where we have to swing to one side or swing to the other, everything's off. And, you know, the real, the leaders that can just rise to another level in their profession know, certainly, as I said earlier, what are problems that I can just solve and solve them effectively and efficiently? Because it's right and wrong. Just pick the right answer, move on. But what are some of these tensions that instead of trying to just pick a side and be done, I'm going to think higher than that and say, no, I'm going to manage this well throughout this project. In this relationship, I'm going to invite the client in to say, hey, together, we're going to really find healthy tension between cost and quality or between, you know, change and stability. In my team, you know, one that I, I find, especially for folks that are leading teams, I bet everyone listening has high expectations on themselves, on their team. What does it look like to hold on to those high expectations and have just as high levels of grace and understanding? So all of a sudden, folks are willing to take risks, and they actually realize that they're more than their job description. and They want to give it everything they have. I mean, those are the kind of teams that attract and retain the best professionals. So it's more than just a simple formula for balance, and it's not really compromising and meeting in the middle. It's doing both fully over time.
0: And in terms of kind of the resources, I guess the energy, the time that you need to to be able to do both things over time, how do you how do you get there? like do you need training? like how do you how are you able to kind of get people to to be able to not compromise as you say
1: yeah, so so what's interesting,'ll give you an example. So in my small company, um, you know I, I, I say to any organization, there's lots of tensions you're managing. There's lots of these conflicting values. Um, just know and name the one or two that are na- that are kind of make it or break it for you or your team. Meaning that oh my gosh, we wrestle with that all the time. Once you name it, it's like oh okay, I, I see it now. Well, for us in our little company, change and stability would be kind of the number one. Meaning that we have to you know constantly keep our content, our talks, our workshops fresh and new and try new things and we've gotta be known for something proven in the industry. And, and we've got things that we know work that we're not willing to let go of. Well, here's the thing. If we're gonna continue in the next year, five years, 10 years to lead the industry, we've gotta manage that tension well. Constantly looking at, okay, for the next product launch, for the next season, what are we gonna to do to you know keep innovating but hold on to what works and what people know us for? I just happen to really lean towards change. In fact, if it was up to me, I would probably reinvent our company every six months. There'd be a new website, a new product, and I'd feel great about it because I just love that's my bias. So I don't want to change who I am. That bias towards change, it actually really serves me and the organization well, but I have massive blind spots, which means I need to look for people who I know see the exact same situation but they'd be seeing on why we have to hold on to what works and why maybe change isn't good right now. And rather than, you know, look for folks who are going to affirm my point of view and say, Oh my gosh, Tim. Yeah. Let's get that change up going. Let's do this right away. I'm going to seek out that person on the team to say, Hey, I feel like we need to launch this new idea next. month. what do you think? You know, help me see what you see because we are going to make a decision but you're going to help me see the full picture so we make an informed decision. And what happens, and this has happened to me so many times, I have been so excited about a new idea. And you know, after one conversation with a teammate, and if you don't have a team, a colleague, someone in the industry that you know probably sees things from the other side, one quick conversation, and I'll be like, wow, it is not the time for that right now. Doesn't mean it's a bad idea, and it doesn't mean I won't do it. Now is not the time. You know, I've also, um, so, so it's a matter of really going beyond just your, how you're wired, your biases and seeking out that opposite so you make informed decisions that manage the tension well.
0: Really fascinating. I, I wanted to maybe use an example that um, I think a lot of event professionals can relate to. Anybody sure. that's worked with associations or nonprofits, you know, nonprofit boards, association boards, association chapters you know, you meet, uh, you, you want to change everything. And you sort of go around this kind of like reinventing the wheel circle, where every, you know, annual retreat, or whatever it is, you come in, and you're like, we need to redefine what this means. And we need to, you know, kind of change how how people perceive the association. And I feel like every year, you do kind of the same thing, and, and the people around the table might change a little bit. So sometimes there's a sort of institutional memory that's lost. But mm-hmm. still, often the same people meet and sort of have the same conversations again and again. And I think that's sort of one of the examples that you were, you were kind of alluding to. Um, how does this help prevent that or, or kind of improve on that situation?
1: Yeah, it's a great example. So here's, here's what I would do. You and I are working on that project. And and, I, I, and, and if you let me to just do a quick timeout, the metaphor I use for a well-managed tension is breathing meaning that we exhale and inhale 20,000 times a day. We don't think about it too much, but we get all the benefits of inhaling and all the benefits of exhaling. But Miguel, what happens if I inhale and hold it? Doesn't work too well, right? Before, you know, I'm in blue in the face in no time. So even without that metaphor, that idea, I'm going to invite you into and saying, okay, we're going to work with this association project. So, Rather than just set this up in a binary way, are we going to change and do things differently? Or are we going to do what we did last year? I'm going to start by just taking a few minutes to say, Miguel, what would be a few benefits if we innovated? Like, what would, what would happen if we were able to take some risks and innovate? And I mean, you can give me your thoughts on that. What would be, what would be the benefits if we really innovated, did things differently?
0: Well I think most association chapters, et cetera, would um, be afraid that uh, people wouldn't like the innovation, that they'd lose their kind of reason to be, or they'd kind of veer too far off what they're expected to be and and lose members or lose sponsors in some way.
1: Okay, okay, i'm gonna I'm gonna just I'm gonna reiterate that would be if we innovated and held it, like breathing, we inhaled and held it. But what if we actually just got the value of innovation? If we did things a little differently this year, took some risks, what would be the what would be the value we'd be achieving if we did that well? If you did it well, then I think people see it
0: as innovation. They see it as fresh. They see it as a a new way of doing things. And I think a lot of people are looking for that. So that would definitely be a positive sign.
1: Okay. And as you said, if we did that, though, to the neglect of what works, people worry people think that we've taken risks that have people go in the wrong direction. So we know so what I've just done there is that here's the value we're going to go for. Here's the fear if we overdo it. Now let's look, look at the opposite. What what would be the value of holding on to what works? I mean it sounds pretty obvious, but what what would be in your with the association, what would be the value we'd achieve if we really hold on to what's worked in the past?
0: Members are are comfortable and and for the things that work for the members, I think they're comfortable and they're, and they're happy and they, they feel like that that's what they expect. So, so I think that would be a comfortable decision for them or a comfortable proposal for them.
1: Yeah, so there's a comfort level. We can probably get people on board. I would go beyond that to say there's systems that create efficiencies. We can do this efficiently. We know what works. We've got networks to tap into. Here's the thing though. It's almost like exhaling and holding it. If all we do with this event is go with what's worked in the past and we neglect innovation, what are we potentially going to experience negatively? If we only focus on what's worked in the past, neglecting innovation, what are the downsides that we might experience?
0: Well, then you become stale, and uh, I think it's very hard to attract new members and and kind of new talent into the organization with uh, a recipe that's kind of created for uh, members that have been there for a long time and are just comfortable with, with what already exists.
1: All right, so what I'm going to suggest is now for the rest of this meeting, you and I and the team at the table are going to make decisions that on one hand are fighting for all those values of innovation which means people are actually surprised, they're intrigued, they're realizing there's there's something new and exciting going on and they've got the comfort level to know what to expect, what they're signing up for. And we're also going to be mindful and I need you to help me Miguel in making decisions that on one hand Don't start to scare people away or take risks that folks feel like they're going to be worried the whole event. At the same time, don't have folks feeling like this again. We're actually doing this again. So that's what we're going to work on. We're going to make decisions that allow us to get both of those upsides, but not to the neglect of what happens if we overdo one to the other. That's what we're going to work on. Now, what I would say to you is that that would set the tone for the rest of that meeting. If I was working with a client, I'd have a similar conversation. You know, there's a, a term that I'm sure you've heard before, go slow to go fast. Sometimes that little bit of three, four, five minutes of tone setting can allow the rest of the meeting, the rest of the project to be so much more efficient. Because all of a sudden I realize that, oh, okay, moving forward, we are going to embrace innovation and change. We're going to do things differently and we're going to hold on to what works. We know what'll happen if we over-focus on one to the neglect of the other. So that's what we're committed to. Now we're on the same page. Is that helpful?
0: Yes. I think that that's interesting. I think a lot of people could apply that. And I think that that, that that's uh, that's something that we, we'd hear a lot around boardroom tables and such.
1: Mm-hmm. And, and you can do that with any tension that you feel is kind of that core tension you're navigating. If it's cost and quality, it'd be the same thing. I'm going to say, hey, why why are we what are the values of actually investing in this you know don't tell again i want to stay away from the why should we spend a lot of money i to say what are the outcomes if we really invest appropriately we're gonna you know everyone in the room can fill that list open i'm gonna say but here's the thing and this is not what's the downside of spending a lot of money mm-hmm. what will happen if we over focus on the investment you know to the neglect of um you know just the quality experience and that same phenomenon can, can, can play out. And all of a sudden we're on the same page saying, oh, this isn't an either or, you know, this is both. This can actually be bottom line focused and quality experience focused. And now we're gonna, rather than feeling like the room had people that were on, you know, conserving money and being, you know, uh, responsible. And then we had people that really wanted to go for it. Now we're like, no, we actually all want a great event. An event that we're not going to regret spending a lot on a year from now. So let's fight hard for that.
0: I think there's lots of applicable avi- advice there. Um, do you have any uh, examples? You know, obviously without naming specific companies or anything like that. Do you have some examples of of this in practice? It doesn't have to be linked to the to the event industry specifically, but where uh, you know this idea was was brought in and and kind of what transpired after that.
1: Sure. Um, I've got, I've got uh, some personal examples and some client examples. I mean, I, 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 one that's fascinating, and this goes a number of years back, I was doing a, a series of programming with the United Nations, and we were specifically working with atomic energy. So, um, you know, what happened is we had, you know, 55 nation states around the room, you know, most of them in their individual tables and what was interesting is everybody knew that we were in this room and these were folks that were weapons inspectors and they implemented safeguards everyone was in the room because we wanted centralized coordination as a, uni- as, a as a as a globe you know as the world we wanted to put all agree on how we were going to kind of centralize coordinate how we use nuclear so you know let here's the here's the rules here's what you can and can't do well that was fine But, you know, the meeting after the meeting (laughs) were countries like mine and others that would say, well, that's fine. But you know what? We use nuclear for medicine. So we need freedom. Well, we need we use nuclear for power. So that's fine. But, you know, at the end of the day, this is what I have to bring back to my country. What was interesting was once we recognize, you know, folks, let's just call it an audible here and say we are wrestling with this tension between on one hand, centralized coordination, which we all know we need. On the other hand, we all want decentralized freedom. And I'd love to give you the solution. It doesn't exist. That's what we're wrestling with. So, And if all we do is get centralized coordination, individual countries can't serve their citizens. If all we do is get decentralized freedom, the world's unsafe. So What does it look like for us to quit arguing as if this is an either or? You know, we either need to be centralized or decentralized and and actually step up our conversation so it's an and. So the decisions we make respect the need for centralized coordination and respect the reality of decentralized freedom. And everyone knew that tension as a feeling before, but once we named it, All of a sudden, it was like we opened up this wall and new decisions were possible. And rather than feeling like you were either on my side or the other, we recognized, no, we're all fighting to manage this tension well. So that would be a a work example. I I know even in in my, um, I spent a a bit of a, a break in my career from writing and speaking and consulting. And for 10 years, I ran a homeless shelter. And you know, in the shelter, um, we we started this small organization and we had all these core values. We were so excited about these values. We framed the words and put them on the wall of the building. One of them, Miguel, was was fairness. We wanted to be all about fairness. Well, that was fine. But as I led, I, I would say it would only take me two, three weeks before I realized everyone agreed on those words. But my team was very divided on what they looked like lived out. You know, I talked to my coaches or my, my managers who ran the shelter, the floor of the shelter, the 30, 40 people living there, the staff, the volunteers. They'd say, well, fairness is consistency. Fairness is that there's no favoritism. People know what's expected of them. That's fairness, consistency. Well, it was fine until so you talked to my coaches. My coaches worked with all of our residents, our, our homeless friends one-on-one. They got to know their story. And they'd say, well, wait, wait a minute. What we would ask of this person we would never ask of that person because of their mental health challenges or their history of trauma, you know, and this person needs a completely specialized program based on what they present. Fairness isn't that everyone gets the same thing. Fairness is that everyone gets what they need. It's all about individuality. And we, we generally went back and forth until the day it came where we said, folks, just wait a minute. What if fairness isn't either consistency or individuality? Fairness is actually... Consistency and individuality. And until we can start to manage that tension well, that beautiful framed word on our wall means nothing. We'll never live this value out unless we as a team get comfortable living in the tension between fair individuality and consistency. And I will say like there's skills you can learn and lots of things that you can do to manage tension well. Just naming it was game changing. So all of a sudden it didn't feel like, oh, well, you're on that side, I'm on this side. It's like, no, 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 we're in this together. And this is the business we're in. If we're gonna serve people well, we've, we're gonna be dealing with this tension every single day. It changed everything.
0: That's a great example. I really, really like that. I think you um, could definitely kind of uh, learn a lot, take a lot from that. Um, I love what you're saying about naming it. I think it's, it's really interesting to kind of identify that there's, you know, one extreme and another extreme, and just kind of naming it that the ideal solution is probably not either of these extremes, right? It's kind of acknowledging that and then kind of leaning into this to this tension. How do you kind of get people comfortable with this tension? Because thats I, I imagine that's quite challenging to kind of get people to lean into this tension. And, and mm-hmm. of course, naming it, I think, is part of the solution. But are there other kind of frameworks or kind of central ideas to kind of dealing with it or working through it?
1: Yeah, I mean, what's interesting, and I've done quite a bit of research on this around the world, and the vast majority of individuals, and I'm going to use numbers like 95% and above, assume tension is a bad thing. So I've used the word tension in various other, you know, in in other languages, tension, bad. And if I, if I sense tension, I do one of two things. I ignore it. I just pretend it's not there or I avoid it, you know, and and as you're saying, what we're trying to do is invite people to do the opposite, to embrace it. So first of all, there has to be a paradigm shift that there are things, there, there are certain tensions that are healthy. And, you know, and and I mean, this gets into any kind of tension in our lives. If we don't, you know, expose our muscles to tension, they atrophy. If you're in a relationship that's tensionless, it's a surface relationship. There's no real relationship there. You know, tension can be a good thing. So what the, the first step is identifying a tension that you're already managing. You just haven't named. So as I said, once even we named in the shelter individuality and consistency, there was a bit of a, Oh yeah. Oh gosh. Yeah. We've been feeling that forever. So, and, and just saying folks, this is the good stuff that when we manage this, well, we actually live out our vision and values. So just we need to recognize it's a different type of tension. The same with the United nations consistent or individual or, uh, freedom, uh, decentralized freedom and centralized coordination. You've been feeling it for years. It's not going away. So then the courage is, unless we can live in that tension, all we're going to do is pick sides and be divided. And as you said, live in the extremes. So even though I'm fighting for my side, I don't even get what I want long-term. It's like inhaling and saying, I'm going to inhale today. Well, that doesn't work too long. So you have to recognize that, no, this, this, this will not work well. And then there's, there's some, some tips on how do you then once you've named it, you know, the next piece that I think this is this is really, really important. Most of us will lean on any tension, you're going to lean towards one side over the other. So, as I said, in my team, I know that a tension that we manage is change and stability. I just really lean towards change. I know that, you know, in our shelter, consistency individuality was attention. Almost all my coaches lean towards individuality and almost all my managers lean towards consistency. When you're talking about having people manage tensions, you're not asking them to give up their biases. Yeah, it's like, hey, Tim, be the change person in your team. That's, that's your kind of edge, that's what you bring. Just know that you, you don't need to exchange your point of view for the opposite but you can expand it. And that's, that's, that's a really significant paradigm shift. Like right now, when you look at even some of the polarization in our politics um, and in our world, people assume that, well, I, I, I can't support anything on that side because I have to exchange that for my views and my values. And it's like, well, what if you didn't? What if you could actually expand your point? You hold on to your values, but realize it's limited. You can go beyond that. And once you can start to show folks, they don't have to give up their biases. They don't have to give up their point of view, but they can actually expand it. You know, talking to a client who's only focused on the bottom line to say, hey, I'm going to work with you to make sure we get the values of being responsibly financially. We are going to do this with a budget that you feel proud of, and I believe we can do that and also take some risks and invest in some things that will absolutely blow away your delegates. I think we can do both. You know, I feel that in this um, event association event, there are some things that we will absolutely hold on to. We will not let go of because at the end of the day, you're known for this. It's proven. We know it works. People are comfortable with it. And I think we can do that at the same time, we're going to take some risks that actually make the association realize this, this is a moving, growing, evolving, innovative place to be. We're gonna do both of those things. You're not giving up one side for the other, you're expanding to include both. I like it. I, I wanted to kind
0: of also touch on, you know, you mentioned the United Nations um, example, and I think that's a brilliant example. Um, I know that different cultures, different ways of kind of connecting different languages affect the way we interpret these things. Uh, And I wonder if you could give us any insight into, you know, if you're dealing with people from different cultures, different languages, should you approach this in a different way? Because I believe that, you know, some cultures will deal with naming tensions and identifying them and then kind of going, you know, straight to the point, Let's, let's talk, let's be honest, let's see, the real issue is that, you know, this is one extreme, this is the other extreme. While some cultures may not enjoy that, right? That may become a barrier if you're kind of like, whoa, this is a bit too kind of confrontational. Um, Do you have any advice on how to deal with that?
1: Yeah, so you're, you're right. And, you know, it's not just cultures around the world, it's organizational cultures and client cultures that would be Some would say and and what I would say, first of all, is some are really deeply biased towards either or just pick the right answer. Things are right or wrong, whereas certain cultures and, you know, I've worked around the world and countries where this both and approach is much more of a default. So it's not even a it's not a paradigm shift. It's more of where I start. The stretch for them is more of that. Just make a call. Things can be right and wrong. So I think you're wise to say, okay, what culture am I going into? What's interesting as well, Miguel, is for every tension that you have, there will be cultural biases towards one side or the other. So, you know, I, I go back to some of the UN work, you know, one, one tension that's an interesting one around communicating, and I would say leading, is I've got to be truthful, which means I've got to be clear, candid, get to the point, and I've got to be tactful, which means I've got to be diplomatic and relational. Well... I have to do both, but most people lean towards one side over the other. They have a bias towards truth or they have a bias towards diplomacy or tact. Countries will lean towards one side over the other. So you will know that there's certain tables, certain nation states that it is what it is. Call a spade a spade, you know, and there's others that are much more, you know, they'll nod their heads and you think they're on your side, but they're, they're actually just being tactful at that time. So there's a, there's a wisdom in saying, hey, how do we even acknowledge that there's different biases at play here? It's not right or wrong. It just is. And you know, I, I often say the goal isn't to destroy biases and say, you need to be more this way you know, as a country or as an individual or as a corporate culture. It's just to say, first of all, how do we work with those biases? But also, what happens if my bias is overdone? So all I do is live out my bias all the time. Well, there's a downside to that. And I mean, that's where, you know, diversity can be such a great thing. That's where if I'm working with someone who sees the world differently or approaches things differently, it's they can call me on my bias. You know, it's a um, it's it's a it's a helpful thing.
0: That's yeah, that's that's really interesting to kind of loop back into that, because, you know, we talk a lot about DI, diversity, equity, inclusion and, and and how that plays out and how, you know, events can can be real interesting kind of places of change and then kind of highlighting issues. So I think it's really interesting to bring it around to that as well.
1: Well, I'll give you, if we have time, I'll give you just a micro example of that, that truth tact bias. I I mean, I write books and research on this. I know it matters. If I'm going to communicate well, I got to be truthful and tactful. I just have to have, happen to have a pretty strong bias towards truth and candor. And it, it works well for me in lots of ways in my career, in my speaking, in my writing. I also, though, have gotten into trouble lots of times because I've overdone it. And if there was one example, it would be emails I've written that I thought were wonderfully written and, and to the point, And I've been blown away by the impact. So, what I've learned to do is like you, there'll be days where I'll send out 200 emails, but every now and then there'll be one where I'm like, ooh, you know what? That one could have ripple effect. So, I've learned to say that one, I'm going to have someone else just take a look at before I hit send. But here's the thing in our world, we have a confirmation bias that means once I have a point of view, I want to be affirmed in it, you know. That's that's why we like certain things and 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 lean towards certain news sources. I want to be affirmed in my biases. So what I do is I go to you know uh, my colleague um, Belinda who has the same bias as me, and I say, Hey, B, can you read this email? And, and she reads it. And what do you think she says? Tim, it's great. So so to the point, you know. And I hit send, and we're both blown away by how it was interpreted. I don't need to talk to Belinda. I need to actually talk to my colleague, Claudia, who has a strong bias towards tactfulness. And I mean, this happens often. I'll say, hey, Claudia, I've read this a few times. I think I'm I think I'm think good, but what do you see here? And she'll say, Tim, do not send that email. <laughs> and she'll say, here's what you're saying. And I'm like, I'm not saying that at all. She says, oh, no, you are. And she allows me to see what I just cannot see on my own. So what happens is once we recognize these biases, rather than do what most of the world does, which is seek out people who share your point of view and be affirmed in it. You actually want to seek out the opposite to say, help me again. I'm not giving up my bias, but I want to make sure I've checked my blind spots. And that that's where biases can really start to work for us. And that power of diversity, we can tap into it.
0: Really interesting. Thank you for sharing that. I think that's a, that's a really, really interesting approach and then kind of way of looking at it. Um, I just wanted to ask a question. Is this just for leaders or can anybody apply this type of thinking?
1: It's 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 life. And I mean, this is, um, you know, I, I, I would say that when I leave this nine by nine studio I'm in right now, I enter my kitchen and immediately my partner Becky and I are managing the tension between as parents, should we be flexible or should we be kind of consistent. <laughs> and my, uh, my approach would be kind of um, clear, consistent, rule oriented. I'm married to a wonderful person who would be really about individual flexible. And we're navigating that constantly. And you know what, when we navigate it well, I feel that we parent well. But if we choose sides, when I get my way, and it's all about rules and consistency, no one wins long term. You know, and, and at the end of the day, if all we are is flexible all day long, the kids aren't served well. So we're navigating it constantly. What, 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 what we find is, I mean, we, we live in a world that loves to have easy solutions and seven steps and five habits. And, 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 and just if you do these things, everything works. Well, you and I both know the world's a lot more complex than that. And the reality is we're navigating situations that aren't always right and wrong, but they're right and right and the more that we can be people, parents, friends, neighbors, coworkers that can again hold on to right and wrong when there is one but to also acknowledge that there's other situations where it's just not that simple. And you know what, we can be comfortable with the and. We can actually live in a space where we do both. Well, that just takes life to the next level. And we actually feel like we're less stuck in our relationships, stuck in our politics, stuck in our parenting. So it's not just leadership. That's a great way to conclude
0: this conversation. Love the practical example as a parent of two small children. I'm totally in agreement with you. And I think, uh, yeah, I definitely have a a kind of lean towards uh, the the discipline and kind of organizing everything. But that doesn't always work, right? You need the
1: flexibility and uh, it's not that different in professional life it's 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 so true it's so true it's humbling but it's also encouraging to recognize this isn't going away and this tension can actually be at an advantage if i'm willing to you know live in that space as i say in the book lead with and you know i feel like i can show up well great advice uh tim thank you so much for uh
0: having this conversation with me i think it's been really interesting uh where can people find you where can they find the book
1: absolutely i uh, first of all thank you it's just been I. I have uh, a special connection with your audience because uh, we partnered and worked together for decades and uh, I, I, the complexity of their work is, uh, is, is not for everyone. So um, I really hope this is helpful. Um, the book's called Lead with And. You can get it on Amazon and generally where books are sold. Um, you know, Tim Arnold, as uh, a speaker, you can find me Um, If you just go to lead with you'll get lots of information on me as well. And uh, yeah, I'd love to help anyone uh, take the conversation further.
0: Excellent. We'll make sure to put that in the show notes. And the final question I have for you, something we ask all our guests is can you recommend someone who should be a guest on the event manager podcast?
1: Oh, that's a great question. A A guest for your podcast, you know, I was at an event a decade ago with a author thought leader by the name of Donald Miller, um, who started StoryBrand. Uh, story brand has a book called building a story brand. Um, and, uh, I, it was one of those events where I'm like, I gotta, I gotta hang out with this person. You know, I'm up next, but I'll, you know, we gotta have lunch turned out to be a, a friendship, a partnership. I've worked with story brand for years, but story brand and Donald Miller's work had me realize that I am making what I do way too complex. And ultimately, you know, he talks a lot about the curse of knowledge. I'm, I think I'm explaining things at a simple level, but when I think I'm explaining things at a one or two at a 10 level, it's still probably seven or an eight and people are just walking away. They're nodding their head saying, Hey, thanks for the call. But in their head, they're like, I don't get it. So if you could talk to Donald Miller and and get into the story brand framework, I think you're. You know, event professionals will recognize. Wow, there are ways that I can simplify my message so our clients engage, so they get it. And it's not a matter of dumbing it down; it's actually just choosing what resonates. So Donald Miller, building a story brand, I, I think it would be a, a ten out of ten.
0: Great recommendation. I I know the work of Donald. I've I've not met him yet, but uh, it'd be great to have him on the show. And I'm sure that our audience would be uh, very happy with that. So thank you for that recommendation. And uh, Tim, just wanted to say thank you one last time and uh, wish you well and wish the book a lot of success and uh, looking forward to applying some of these leading with and uh, in in our day to day work.
1: Well, thank you. It's been a pleasure. And uh, yeah, all the best to you and to your audience. Uh, Thanks.
0: Thank you for listening to this edition of the Event Manager Podcast. Please subscribe and rate the podcast wherever you get your podcasts. For the latest news and the best articles on technology and innovation in the event industry, head over to eventmb.com.